This podcast is a proud member of the CypherCast Network. Discover more at cyphercast.net and follow us on Twitter at cyphercast.net. Welcome to Incantations, an Invisible Sun podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Dave. And we will be your guides along the path of suns. Today we sing one spell. With Embrace the Black Cube, we discuss the 12th design diary about GM notes. Join us on the path of suns, and we may uncover a secret or two. With Embrace the Black Cube, we discuss the periodic design diaries related to the development of the Invisible Sun RPG. In this segment, we will focus on Design Diary 12, which discusses The Guiding Hand, a GM notebook intended to help GMs handle the information of developing and running an Invisible Sun campaign. The Design Diary starts with uh, some information from Monty Cook about his longtime aspiration to write a notebook for campaign development. Uh, He thought it might be fun uh, to write uh, and useful for uh, GMs to have a notebook that combined an organizational structure for information about campaign development, uh, some structure for note-taking during sessions and brainstorming, uh, uh, recording names and things that you might do during a session, uh, as well as some inspiration for different aspects of a given campaign, but he could never get the product approved through the powers that be uh, until, of course, he became the power that is at Money Cookie Games uh, and could simply uh, uh, get this done. Uh, Even then, it had to wait for his large project, Invisible Sun. (laughs) Uh, But it's been something he's been wanting to do for his games for, for a very long time. I really wish they would have done something like this sooner because <clears throat> uh, GM notes and preparation, uh, that's something I've been trying to figure out for a very long time. Uh, it used to be I would do a ton of preparation and now I'm cutting down to just a small amount of preparation. And I have a feeling with Invisible Sun, I'm going to keep that small amount of preparation fast and loose so that I can adapt to what my players are doing and at least provide them with something that's interesting if I'm scrambling for how I want to respond to what they're doing. As we've discussed in many of the previous segments, our experiences with the uh, playtest uh, and the game uh, itself suggest that this game requires a different strategy for preparation and planning uh, than does a lot of other than do a lot of other RPGs, uh, including games like Numenera, The Strange, or other uh, uh, MCG cipher system games. Uh, the important role of character generation and the relationships between characters, the freedom that that characters have in defining the universe through their party-based character creation uh, session zero makes GMing and GM preparation uh, more reactive than it might otherwise be. And so having tools to help uh, prepare for this new type of GMing for what will be new to a lot of people, uh, I think is a good idea. Uh, yeah. And you're, so you said a lot of the RPGs that are out there, uh, it's going to require a different kind of preparation. And I think that it's going to be a, a bit more in line with what I've done for games that run on the Apocalypse World system. Uh, Because that game also encourages you not to have a real set story or beginning or end point. 
And it relies more upon figuring out what the story is at the table and pulling from the players and putting more of the story responsibility into their hands, which kind of necessitates more of a framework and uh, ideas to draw from rather than uh, plot points and things like that, that you might be used to from a traditional RPG. Right. An extreme example. I, I think of back when I used to prepare for, for DMing in the eighties for Dungeons and Dragons when I was in like junior high uh, and what I consider preparation for DMing uh, Dungeons and Dragons wait, at that time wait, wait, was, let me guess you would draw out maps of a dungeon uh, over and over and over again. Oh my God. How did I know? <laughs> uh, not just through the magic of having a second take. Right. Because I did the same thing. <laughs> right. Many, many of us did. And one of the most glorious things was to find a pad of graph paper that you could just write dungeons upon dungeons upon dungeons in. Uh, it helped that you could do this during school and look like you were working. Yeah. It looked like math work. <laughs> So preparation in those days was was drawing these elaborate dungeon maps, uh, numbering the rooms, and then maybe going back later and deciding which one had three orcs and which one had uh, two trolls and you know, stocking the dungeon with different encounters. Uh, uh, and so th that was preparation, was the, the series of rooms that were then stocked. Uh, and in my case, my junior high period, uh, very, very simply so, just drawing monsters out of the monster manual or uh, in my more uh, uh, aggressive times uh, from the uh, deities and demigods book of, of uh, deities. <laughs> uh, and yeah, you can just throw out any sense of what's that, what's the phrase like dungeon environment. Just throw that out. Oh yes. Like who cares? <laughs> oh, th there was no consideration as to why the trolls and the orcs were next to each other or what the implications would be. And there were never restrooms. Well, I mean, the, the trolls and the orcs were in the rooms adjacent to each other because that's where they were. Because <laughs> they were, you know, well, actually, that would say they, they, were, they weren't even approximately the same challenge. Uh, so they might need to be on different floors of the dungeon. Oh, yeah. Harder uh, ones but, to uh, go lower. Yeah. <laughs> but that was a, a different type of preparation. And, and, and then we will likely have with Invisible Sun because of the reactive nature. And you mentioned, I think the, the analogy with Apocalypse World Games is, is a good one uh, because a the the players have a much, much larger role in defining the world. And so instead of having a map full of numbered rooms that you're expecting the party to march through, uh, you need to, you still need to prepare, but to prepare differently. And this book hints at some advice on how to do that. Uh, I think before we've called it sort of a toolkit approach where you don't necessarily prepare that the first encounter will be this and the second challenge will be this and the third will be this. But instead, you might want to prepare by coming to the session with a toolkit full of interesting characters and items and plot points and all of these different things that you can draw from whenever you feel it is appropriate to the story at a specific time. Uh, it also, well, do we want to talk about what's on these sheets? Uh, sure, I think we can do that. Yeah, so let me just uh, double check these sheets because we have two of them and I provided us with some nice handy links last time and I've since lost <laughs> them. Um, but uh, the, the first sheet uh, has the uh, guiding hand session. Oh, the guiding hand. Never mind. That's the name of the book. Did we even mention that? Yes, we did. Cool, great. Um, yeah, sorry. Um, 
So the thing I wanted to mention was the uh, like the character arcs that are in play. There's a space specifically for that so that you can remember what are the character arcs that your players are chasing after? What are they working on? What are they interested in? And I think that's going to be super helpful. Um, and then there's also a little spot for notes from the prior session, which, you know, these, these are two things that I'm probably going to put to use because those are things that I don't want to forget about. And two other sections are interesting where they'll include names for a session. Again, this is kind of like a toolkit. There's going to be a little section of the toolkit that has both some hardwired in suggested names uh, on the sheet, as well as room for you to write your own names so that you can come to the session and have a pool of names to draw from when the players just to say, decide, oh, that, that, that fruit vendor uh, is very interesting. I wonder where her name is. And you're like, oh, uh, it is. And you look at your sheet. You can pull a random name off the list that you've already populated. Yeah, it's uh, Nariana. Yes, it is. It, as, uh, as of now, it is Mariana. Uh, and then you could also note next to that s- section in the guiding hand, that's the, the fruit vendor in front of the noodle shop or whatever it might be. Uh, yeah. So the the biggest thing for me from, you know, the guiding hand uh article that they put out really is here's here's a framework for you to use to organize your notes here are the things that monty cook has found useful in a session and here's what he's found useful to prepare and that's the kind of i don't know it's it's the kind of advice that i guess you would probably find in a in a dm's guide or any other section of an rpg book that tells you like here's how you run a game but having it laid out like this just feels a little bit different. I don't remember really running into this in any other sort of format. Um, there was an article that Shauna has up for bullet journaling, uh, which I thought was a good start. Um, but it didn't quite get to the specificity that I was looking for. If I was going to take notes during a session, like what are the important things that I want to jot down? Because uh, one thing I've always found myself getting into when I'm taking notes is, well, I'm heads down and I feel like I'm kind of ignoring what my players are doing. And if they are looking to me for any sort of response, it doesn't really seem like I'm paying attention to what's actually happening at the table. So I want to have uh, a better guide for what are the actual important things and how verbose do, do my notes need to be. Yeah, I think that bullet uh, journaling article and uh, any research that one might do falling down the rabbit hole of bullet journaling uh, has some interesting lessons built into it that lead us kind of to where we are with the guiding hand. One of the interesting parts of bullet journaling is it is uh, typical uh, for people who bullet journal to create their own system of bullet journaling. And so you adapt the system of bullet journaling to what it is you need from the bullet journal. Some people have like create these art, uh, artistic, either bullet or, or more elaborate non-bullet journals, uh, but they will create sections that are specific to their own needs in bullet journaling. They might have their own lists uh, based upon the specific needs they need from the journal. So the notion of customization of the journal to a person's particular needs is common within the bullet journaling and the broader journaling community. What this does, uh, the guiding hand that is, is it is a rec- is a set of recommendations from Monty Cook about what he thinks a good GM journal 
would look like for you, a kind of a recommended format and structure for a GM journal. Uh, and from someone who's thought about this a lot and thought about what types of lists are you going to want? Um, how much room are different components of these lists likely to take up? Um, and even, especially early on in the guiding hand, what are some examples of what might go on each of these lists? So we've mentioned that the some of the lists or some of the parts of the guiding hand come pre-populated. So one of the examples in the blog post, there's already a half dozen or so example names. Uh, in fact, it's exactly a half dozen <laughs> example names. Uh, a, a different section is ideas for this session, which you could imagine is just stuff that you jotted down over time because you thought it sounded cool and you might draw from if you have uh, any particular reason or justification for doing so. But the list includes three ideas that he wrote in that he thought might be useful for this particular session. Examples include a, a haunted gun and a missing child. These aren't very specific, uh, but they're just inspiration in some of the same way that the Sooth deck is as a randomizer for inspiration. Um, but it's there to show you the types of things you might want to put into that section of the guiding hand. So it's both a structure and somewhat instruction about how to use that structure to maximize your preparation. Uh, I think I had a little bit of a, a discussion here that I want to touch on again. And I think it was these ideas are great, but the thing that I run into when I'm running with a, an idea that doesn't have a lot of depth, uh, and what I mean by, you know, there's not a lot of depth here is all I have is a sentence or all I have is a suggestion from one of my, one of my players. What I run into is um, how do I build out at least the illusion of depth in the moment? Uh, because that's kind of where I feel, um, I guess I feel like I'm lacking in that area as a GM, where it's like, oh, okay, we've got this idea, the characters are interested in this, uh, this building that size. I wasn't expecting them to be interested in this. It was just sort of flavor for the neighborhood that they're in, but now they want to talk to it and they want to uh, figure out why this animated building is depressed. Um, so that's like the thing I always come back to when I'm coming up with stuff uh, at the table. It's like, well, how far do I take this? And how far can I take this and still have it feel like there's more to it and there's more for them to uncover rather than give my players the feeling that I'm just making this stuff up? Well, I think to some degree, we're all just making this stuff up. Uh, the question you're asking, mm -hmm. I take is how much advanced work do you do to make sure that the stuff that you make up answers a lot of questions that are kind of begged or implied by the the uh, object itself. So to take one of the examples from the Guiding Hand uh, blog post, you know, a haunted gun. That's all it says. It doesn't say who's haunting the gun, why is the you know why the gun is haunted, what the implications of having a haunted gun are. Uh, it could be a gun that's haunted by all the people who were killed by the gun. It could be haunted by the guilty spirit of the person who, sh who killed someone with the gun. It could be haunted by victims of guns in general, uh, or it could be, you know, there's all sorts of things that this haunted gun could be. Uh, a, a quick bit of advice we may get to in more detail in a future segment. 
that is, I think, implied by the style of RPG that is Invisible Sun and is more common in Apocalypse World sorts of games is to source the table. That is just to turn the question back on the players. You might say you find, you know, you find a haunted gun. And they say, well, uh, who, what spirit is haunting the gun? Good question. You ask the players, what spirit is haunting this gun? Why would anyone haunt a gun? And then you let them answer the question and fill and you fill in the, on the guiding hand what their answers are. Uh, and that way they're contributing to this list as well. Okay. Yeah. And I think that's kind of where we went last time too. sourcing the table is one really good option. Um, I guess another way to do it would be. Hmm. I was going to say to just like come back to it later uh, and give yourself some time to think about it. And, and I guess you could do that by just uh, taking a break. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's an organic way to just say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to take a little break. And I mean, you could just say, Hey, I'm going to think about this for a little bit and come up with something. Um, because who cares if it's organic? Like if you're friends and you're running it for you for that kind of table, like it doesn't matter. Um, but you know, if, if they are interested, but suggest that they, you know, would want to come back to it at a later time. I mean, that's something you can work on in between sessions, which I guess is kind of outside of the uh, realm that I was thinking about here. And I, but I think the guiding hand is intended to help with just that sort of work. I mean, the purpose of writing this down is that you, so you can remember things that you've had later and you can use it to take notes. So having a physical guiding hand book uh, means that once you see the haunted gun note that you can decide to elaborate on that if you want to, or you can say, that's an interesting idea, but I really need to, you know, to think about that for a few days and come back a few days later and then jot notes around it uh, for more detail. If you want to provide that, that additional detail, uh, or if during the session, your players come up with cool ideas you want to adopt, you can write them during the session onto the guiding hand. But having this notebook uh, is a w- way to facilitate uh, the process of uh, brainstorming and elaboration over time. Yeah. Um, and we also have sections for the different characters that your players are going to be running. At least that's what it looks like. Uh, the other example is the first character's sheet. And this is sort of the player from the GM's view from what I can tell. Oh yeah, I would think so. This is, this is my book. <laughs> and this is something I'm really looking forward to. Uh, one of the challenges I faced in the play test is keeping track of where all of the characters are in their character arcs mm-hmm. and what the next stage of each arc is. Uh, so I just had a, t- a player tell me, in fact, just this last week that, Oh, we really, I did, you know, she, she did something in the previous session that she thinks should have qualified as the next stage of her character arc. And it made a lot of sense. She just didn't notice it at the time. And then by the time we got to it at the end of the session and talked about character arcs, uh, she didn't want to bring it up and, uh, you know, or, you know, it, it didn't seem like the right time. And part of that was my fault of the GM is not recognizing that she was at a point in her character arc where what she had done would be pro- uh, progress on the next stage. So the character sheet for the in the guiding hand provides a convenient place for a GM to write down each character, the arc that they're on and the stage of that arc, and maybe some ideas on what might qualify for uh, satisfying the next stage of their character arc uh, or different ideas of how the story, the character arc can be brought in to a particular session. 
But it, it, it provides a, a, a structure again to plan uh, or provide a toolkit for uh, managing character arcs. And, and I'm only having to deal with like three characters at a time. Yeah, I'm going to have five. I imagine a full table of, yeah, or a full table of five or six. That's a lot of character mm-hmm. arcs. Um, yeah, and I think it would be useful to, yeah, make a note of all the character arcs that the character is currently pursuing, possibly prioritize the one that they're most interested in, and then, uh, yeah, make a, a list of here are the things that might, you know, move on, move this character arc along. Um, just a very short, brief list, because you're going to have an idea of where that character arc is going. So I think you'd at least be able to make some notes that make sense and would be fairly predictable. Like, oh, this person needs to commit to solving the mystery that they wanted to get into. Like, that's their next step. They need to move on that path. They need to say they're going to do it. Right. Or, or once they've committed, they have to start gathering evidence. And you might have a plan for, oh, here's three clues they'll need to find before they can solve this mystery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's specific to their character arc. And you could write that into their character sheet uh, on the, within the guiding hand for the GM side of that character sheet. And it's expected that the characters are going to change over time. So the blog post also notes that after every five, I believe it says every five sessions, mm-hmm. there is another page so that for the characters, so that you can sort of refresh where the characters are, what arcs they're pursuing, where they are in those arcs and other aspects of the character that may have changed because the game facilitates characters changing everything from their character arc to actually their physical bodies uh, through uh, the body shops and other uh, parts of, of, of the setting. So there, there are uh, fixtures in place to handle what are likely to be rapidly changing uh, characters, uh, which would otherwise be very challenging for GMs to keep track of. It makes me wonder if there's going to be uh, perhaps a desideratum sheet that would track for the whole group. There might. Uh, I'm not sure how much is uh, out there right now about what that is. I thought it had been talked about, but who knows? Hey, and if it hasn't, you're going to find out in like a couple of weeks. Yeah. I I don't think this is, if this is a spoiler, it's not the one they've been trembling in fear that someone might slip out. So um, what else do we have going on with this uh, guiding hand? We've got, Character tracking, which is going to update every five sessions if you so choose, and uh, a whole bunch of structure that's going to tell us, you know, what are the important bits that, you know, were useful from session to session. And in looking at this, I think I've kind of decided that I'm probably going to take, uh, I've, I do bullet journaling. Uh, I picked it up back when Shauna had... Uh, posted that article, and we'll have it linked in the show notes. Um, And I've been using that for uh, taking notes during uh, sessions as a GM and as a player. Uh, I've found it much easier to do as a player because sometimes I can just sort of focus on what my character is doing and, you know, sort of absorb what's happening at the table. Uh, As a GM, I found it much more difficult to take these notes. But with this structure that's laid out here, I'd be able to build out a journal that uses this framework, but then also gives me the flexibility that I would be looking for with a bullet journal. Um, So I'm probably going to be moving forward with that once we do get the cubes. 
And I'm thinking that's going to work out pretty well. Uh, and just having this, you know, structure is going to be, it's going to be a boon for the way that I'm going to be running, running games. Yeah. I'm looking forward to what the physical uh, object will look like, what the guiding hand book is actually look like, how portable it will be, how convenient it'll be to carry around. It, hopefully it's convenient, maybe not so much as a tiny little bullet journal, but uh, at least convenient as a, a normal size journal mm-hmm. uh, because it does look like a really cool way to organize information. If nothing else, I might steal the structure and move it into the tools I I've traditionally used for, especially for online gaming. Um, and we talk about this in more detail in the future, how we, how we kind of prepare for manage and uh, kind of uh, structure our campaign information. But I tend to use Evernote, uh, but this will give me some ideas on how to make sections uh, to fill out yep, uh, and uh, uh, as well as just being possibly a, a cool physical text to carry around for when I'm, when I'm walking around and, you know, uh, and just sitting t- uh, places and killing time. Uh, and then I could, where I do like to brainstorm with physical pen and paper, this might be a way to do that. Uh, and Evernote is just how I keep track of everything during the session and when I'm running it uh, for kind of more permanent notes. So instead of a pad of graph paper, you're going to be uh, using this guiding hand to, as a replacement. Right. In some ways, it's very similar. In other ways, not sim- not not similar at all. Because instead of uh, stocking a dungeon full of trolls, I'm going to be talking about like character arcs and stories and the, uh, all of the concerns that reflect my new emphasis on kind of collective storytelling uh, as opposed to uh, the sort of shared uh, combat experience that dominated my earlier D and D games. <laughs> Uh, do we have anything further we want to touch on? No, I think that's about it for this particular design diary. Uh, I, I mean, I know we are full of nervous energy because the we can feel the hum of the black cube in the background of reality. It is coming into being. Uh, it will be with us very soon. We don't know exactly how soon, but probably within the next four to five weeks. Um, and then we'll have to figure out what we want to do and whether we'll just hole up in our uh, uh, respective offices with audio or video or, or whatever and, and unbox. And you could just have an hour of us squeeing in glee when we see all of the cool things that are in the box itself. I will say that the Twitter feeds for Monty Cook Games have leaked out some more production images of like the tokens and the character sheets and what the characters look like in play. We're seeing some of this through the actual plays uh, with the woman with hollow eyes. Um, yeah, the anticipation's building, but I think, I think we've at least closed out the discussion on this particular design diary. This ends our walk. Maybe you discovered something today. Maybe you need to look closer. The music was titled Beyond from Wes Otis and Plate Mail Games. It is available from DriveThruRPG. Invisible Sun is currently available for pre-order at InvisibleSunRPG.com. For a limited time, you'll receive an additional Sooth deck when you pre-order the game. You can find our blog at incantationspodcast.blogspot.com or email us at incantationspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at Agonseer, A-G-O-N-S-E-E-R, on Twitter. And you can find me at tex underscore red on Twitter. Do us a favor. 
leave us a rating uh, and a review on iTunes. Uh, it really helps people find out about our show. Another great way is to just uh, tell a friend. Uh, tell a friend about Incantations. Tell them about Invisible Sun. And that would really help us out a lot. <laughs>